here we go. Uh, let me share a few quick announcements with you as we get going this morning. First, if you are a guest or someone who'd hope to visit Redeemer today, we thank you for enduring with us and joining here. You can find out a lot more information about Redeemer on our website at redeemertn.org. So make sure to check that out. And you can even fill out a visitor information card there. It's right on the top of the page. We would love to connect with you and find out how we could serve you better. So please do go there. And then second, in light of the pending weather forecast for today, there will also be no on-campus activities at Redeemer this evening. So nothing for the rest of the day. If we had gathered in person today, we were going to have an opportunity to pray for our brother, Kendall Kuhn, as he will be serving for a week in Central America. He's going to be doing advanced police training along with evangelism and Bible studies with national police forces there. So we will still do that at the end of our time together this morning, but do be praying for him and for his family as he prepares for that trip. And then finally, we have several exciting events coming up over the next several weeks at Redeemer. You can learn about all of them on the event registration page on our website, but let me briefly mention two of them on Sunday, January 23rd. So one week from today, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., we will have our next covenant gathering. Now, if you're new to Redeemer, a covenant gathering is where we gather just to talk about what's going on in the life of the church, to pray together and hear all that the Lord is doing. So come and be a part of that. We will have child care for infants through pre-K-4, but we do need you to register for that child care so you can plan accordingly. And then on Wednesday, January 26th, so about 10 days from now, from 6 to 8 p.m. at Redeemer, we will have our next new member class. If you've been visiting with us for a little while and you desire to learn more about Redeemer or maybe text, take the next step toward covenant membership, this is the way to do that. Now, by coming, you're not committing to become a member. It's just an opportunity for us to share with you about the history of Redeemer, what we believe, why we do the things we do, and for you to ask questions and learn more as well. So we would love to have you come and join us if that would interest you. We also have childcare available for that event. And again, we would need registration for that as well. So as we begin this morning, let me pray for us and then we'll jump into the word together. To our eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one who is majestic, who is wondrous, who is abounding in awesome deeds, we delight to be able to praise you for these things. That you are these things to us is, is all the more amazing because your word also tells us and our lives reveal to us that in our natural state, we are lost. We are rebellious enemies who seek to defy you at every turn. And yet, even when we were your enemies, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for our sins. You raised him to life again. And you promise us that if we will repent of our sin and believe in him, we will be saved. And so wretched, unworthy sinners, though we are, we cling to that promise. And as always, we pray for this church. We pray for Redeemer and for these people. How very gracious you have been and continue to be to us. Help us to remain ever faithful to you, to steward this church well, and to love all whom you bring here. And as we look to the cross and beyond it to an empty tomb, may we be faithful and bold in our gospel witness to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, and especially to our enemies. May we never tire of laboring to reap the fields that are white with harvest. And now I pray for the preaching of your word this morning. Even as we are dealing with technology issues, as I recognize that I am a woefully frail instrument, I desire not one ounce of glory for myself, 
but that in every word that comes out of my mouth, you would be high and lifted up, exalted above every other thing. And I pray for all who will hear this, that if they do not know you, please, Lord, save them. Break open hearts of stone, open blind eyes and deaf ears, and bring life. And for all who hear this and know you already, would you every day draw us nearer to you? That we would not be content with anything less than intimate, unbroken fellowship with you. And for those who hear this morning, who are hurting, who are grieving, who are breaking, would you be a gracious comforter beyond anything they have ever imagined? And I pray that your word would sink deep roots into our hearts and bear much fruit in our lives. Where our lives differ from and fall short of your word, Father, would we be the ones who are changed? It is as always in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit that we ask these things. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to begin our study of the book of Galatians by looking at Colossians. I kid, sort of. You know, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know we've been excited about and we're preparing to kick off our new series in the book of Galatians. And at this point, it may start to feel like a bait and switch. You may think we're not actually going to do Galatians. You're not being honest with us. We are going to get there. I promise it will come. But with all the changes this morning, uh, we want Pastor Jamie to be able to kick off the new series when we gather in person next week and be praying for him. He took sick yesterday and is at home recovering and everything. So pray that he will recover quickly and we miss him this morning. But as he mentioned last week, one of the burdens that he and our elders and our staff have for Redeemer is to be a people of deep and fervent prayer at all times, but especially for this year. And you're going to be hearing that emphasized a lot over and over and over in the weeks to come. So for today, we're going to continue to focus on that. If you haven't already done so this morning, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And as you're doing that, you may recall Jamie mentioning last week that one of the one of the ways he wants to help us think about prayers is by thinking through, through just the different kinds of prayers that we can be praying, that we can focus on. And as a quick reminder, he focused on one, you know, prayers of celebration, those in which we focus on acknowledging and rejoicing in who God is and thanking him for all that he has done, that he is doing, and that he's yet to do. Two, uh, prayers of confession in which we confess our sins before the Lord, desire repentance, and express confidence in his promised forgiveness. And then three, prayers of request, where we come before the Lord, we ask him things. And really, you can boil this down to two kinds of request for God to intervene and for God to give wisdom. And so what are the things for which we ask? You know, of course, the full answer to this is, is all things, everything. But as a congregation, here are the things we want to be bringing before the Lord. You know, first, we want to bring our own lives, our hearts, our lives, all that we are, have, say, and do. We want to bring one another before the Lord. These are the one another's of scripture that we read. We should pray for one another. We want to pray for our church life collectively, for us as a congregation, as a, as a corporate body, including our future plans, uh, how we might best fulfill the God's mission that he's given us in this community and in this world. And along those lines, we will be praying for our community, for the place where God has placed us, and for our world. And you may be wondering, well, how does this connect to Colossians chapter 4? Well, let's look at the passage to see that connection. So look at chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 with me, and that'll serve as our sermon passage for this morning. Colossians 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Your Colossians, if you spent any time in it, it's a wonderful book. As with most of Paul's letters, and perhaps more than any of his other writings, its theme is Christ. And he spends the first half of it just exalting the person and work of Christ. And it matters because, as always, we have to remember that this is the grounding for the the ethical and the moral instructions and commands that often come at the back half of his letters, which is again the case here. You see, it's only after immersing his hearers so deeply into who Jesus is, into what he has done, that Paul then shifts in chapters three and four in the back half of this letter on instructions for living the Christian life. You know, if we were reading through the whole thing, you would see in chapter three that he talks about dealing with sins of the past with putting on the virtues of Christ and living in a Christian household, in a Christian family. And it's that then that brings us here to chapter four this morning. And specifically in today's passage, I want us to consider three main themes together. One, a proper posture in prayer. Two, a proper purpose of prayer. And three, a proper picture of prayer. Relatedly, Today's sermon is brought to you by the letter P. It's like a Sesame Street flashback. I can't see or hear you, so I'm going to assume you're laughing, you're playing along. Uh, You could heckle me if you want in the comments, whatever you'd like to do. But you know, this really does encapsulate so much, both of what we want for you, what we as your your staff and your elders want for you as a congregation, and and for us as a church in prayer. And I think that's, that's really the main idea of the passage today is this. We want to properly posture ourselves before the Lord, as we pursue him in prayer, that his purposes would be accomplished in and through us. So yes, Lord, let us posture ourselves rightly before you in prayer and let your will be done in us. So let's consider these things together. As I mentioned, our first point is this, a proper posture in prayer. Look again with me at chapter four, verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with it in thanks, excuse me, in it with thanksgiving. You know, it seems like such a brief, succinct sentence, and it is, yet there's so much there for us to consider about how we ought to approach prayer. So let's look at each part together. You first continue steadfastly in prayer. Right out of the gate this morning, we see first that God expects us to be a people of prayer. And this is a theme that is prominent all throughout scripture. It tells us to pray without ceasing. Even Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said, uh, when he started to teach about prayer, he said, when you pray, So the idea that we should continue in it suggests that Paul expects that we as believers are already doing this. Here's an early piece of application for you this morning. This should prompt us to pause and ask ourselves, how is my prayer life? So let me put that to you. How is your prayer life? When was the last time you gave thoughtful consideration to the health of your prayer life? And I don't just mean when was the last time you prayed, but that's a good question. But when was the last time you thought about why you pray? about how and what you pray, about your heart's posture toward the Lord in your prayers. And I don't ask this this morning to discourage you, but to to encourage you, because frankly, I find in my own life that this is an area where my walk with the Lord can very easily fall into a rut. 
and that's where you're at this morning, or maybe prayer just simply isn't a practice for you, then there's hope. There's good news because you can begin today. You can begin tomorrow. If today doesn't go well, you can keep picking this up. The Lord stands ready. He stands eager to receive our prayers. And thankfully, we are blessed with an abundance of resources to help us in this practice. So this is an area where you want help, where you desire to grow, where you say, I don't know where to begin or how to proceed. Then come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Jamie, any of our elders or our staff. We would be truly delighted to talk with you and help you in this. But notice, though, not only does Paul tell us to continue in prayer, he says to do so steadfastly. Now, among other things, I think this idea of praying steadfastly means that we should expect opposition in our prayer life. I don't necessarily mean opposition like Daniel, who faced people and, and governments and forces that were physically trying to keep him from praying. I mean that true deep prayer means engaging in some of the most contested battlefields of spiritual warfare. Have you ever wondered why prayer can feel like such a physical and even mental struggle? Has that ever been your experience? You know, you begin to pray and it almost feels like just this exhaustion or the, this weight comes in to keep you from praying. Well, you know, this, is, this is that spiritual warfare. It's okay. You don't have to pretend to be super spiritual this morning and, and say this never happens. You know, there have been too many times when without excuse, I'm praying and I just nod off. You know, I, I thought about seeing how long I could hold that before somebody really thought I'd started to fall asleep. But then I worried, oh no, what if I really do fall asleep? That would be super awkward. So we're going to go on. You know, I'm being silly, but there is, I think, a significant spiritual warfare component to our prayer. And I don't believe I'm overstating the case because I'm reminded of passages like Ephesians 6. You know, Ephesians and Colossians share a lot of similarities and were most likely written together so they can help us, each, each letter can help us understand the other one. And in Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, Paul said this, he said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, our fight is not against merely human enemies, but something far greater. And then after listing the six different pieces of the armor that God gives us, he says in verse 18 that we must be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication. So the idea then is that prayer should infuse every aspect of our lives because it is what God has given us along with his word to wage all aspects of this spiritual war in which we are engaged. So yes, let us continue steadfastly in prayer, but let us do so clear-eyed and sober, knowing the full weight of the task that we undertake. Not only should we continue steadfastly, it says to do so with thanksgiving. Now, this is not a new idea for Paul, and for many of you, it likely calls to mind passages like Philippians 4, which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, notice the condition of that promise. If instead of being anxious about these things, you bring them to God in prayer with thanksgiving, then his peace, then his peace will guard your heart. This is a very good promise and I don't want to downplay it at all this morning, but I think there's another component 
to this thankfulness as well. And it's one that can be far too easy for us to, to overlook. You know, when we're exhorted to continue steadfastly in prayer with thanksgiving, I think we ought to be thankful for the privilege of prayer, to be thankful that we can come before the Lord. As Proverbs 15 tells us, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Imagine that. The God of the universe, the one who spoke all that is into being, delights in the prayers of his children. Let me caution you to mind your heart if you have grown cold toward this privilege. Come to the Lord with thanksgiving for prayer. So now that we know what sort of posture we ought to have in our prayers, that we ought to continue steadfastly in prayer and do so with thanksgiving, then our natural next question should be, okay, so for what sorts of things ought we to pray in this posture? And that brings us to our second point, a proper purpose of prayer. So we have the right posture. What's the right purpose for our prayer? And I intentionally titled this point, a proper purpose rather than the proper purpose, because as you saw from the various prayers we discussed earlier, there could be many proper purposes of prayer. But these next few verses will certainly help us focus our prayers in in some ways that God wants us to do. So look again at verses three and four with me. Verse three, at the same time, pray also for us. This is Paul and his companions who are in prison, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul says, as you're doing this, as you are pursuing prayer continually, steadfastly and with thanksgiving, then pray for those who are seeking to share the gospel. You know, if you ever think you have run out of things to pray for, or that you don't know what to pray for, then, then I have some, some very practical resources for you. First, you could go to Redeemer's missions page and you could pray for our local church planners with whom we partner. You could pray for our missions partners around the country and around the world. And we're gonna do this uh, at the end of our time together this morning. You could pray for those whom we have sent out I like a Redeemer family for whom we prayed just a few weeks ago who are serving in West Africa for the next several months. I assure you they would all greatly welcome and they need your prayers. If that's not enough, then hop on our church member directory. You can find that in our church center app and pray for one another. This is such an encouragement to one another. This is a great help and ministry we can do for one another is to pray for each other. That alone should assure you never run out of things about which to pray. But as we're praying for all of these people and more, what ought we to be praying for them? Again, there could be so many things, but in the text this morning, see, look and see what Paul says. He says, pray that God may open to us a door for the word. You know, I find it so interesting and frankly encouraging that Paul, who more than almost anyone else has given his life to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, he knows and has not forgotten that it is ultimately God who must open the door for and make a way for the gospel to go forward. And I hope this is an encouragement to you because I know that the thought of sharing the gospel directly with someone or supporting those who are doing so in so many different places in so many different ways, it can feel daunting, maybe even a cause for despair at times, excuse me. But despair not. You see, that we need God to open a door for the word is true, both for opening a door to someone's heart and for opening it to, to cities and regions and countries and places that are 
that are closed to us. Um, we, we see this in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. It's not about having to exalt yourself. It's about pointing people to Jesus. So we pray for God to open up opportunities for the sharing of the gospel and for the hearts of those who will hear it. But then once God has opened that door, what do we, what do, we do with it? Well, again, verse three tells us, we declare the mystery of Christ, which is what? Well, you remember that I told you that Colossians and Ephesians were written together, so they inform one another in a lot of ways. Well, Paul gives us an exact answer to that question in Ephesians 3. What is the mystery of Christ? He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery of Christ is that Gentiles, which is to say non-Jews, have been made partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now I know that for so many of us watching this morning, we hear those phrases, we hear words like the gospel so many times and our brains just shift into automatic and we're like, okay, I know what that means. But it is so important to always keep that in front of us, front and center. Not only that, but I realize there may be those watching this morning who in fact have not heard the gospel, or maybe you just need to hear it again. But friends, it's this. There is a holy God eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He created everything that is, including all mankind. And we have and continue to sin against him. And because he's holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin the punishment for which is death and an eternity in hell where we would know nothing but his wrath forever. But because of his great mercy and his great love for his people, he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a life of perfect obedience as both God and man. He was crucified on a cross where God poured out his wrath that should have been poured out on us, on his son who died in our place. And because Jesus was without sin, he could not die. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He appeared to many, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sits today and intercedes on our behalf. And he tells us if we will repent of our sin, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That is the mystery of Christ. That is the gospel that we share. So we pray for God to open a door that we would speak this gospel this mystery of Christ that we are called to share. And then he goes on and he asks people to pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. This, again, I hope is a great encouragement to you. It is to me, think, because think about this. Paul, perhaps the greatest evangelist in all of history, and as we know from elsewhere in scripture, a very, very educated man, is taking time in writing a letter from prison, asking for prayer for what? that he be clear in sharing the gospel. So if you ever worry that, Lord, what if I stumble over my words? What if I 
What if I don't have all the answers? What if I'm not the most intelligent or eloquent or engaging speaker? Am I a failure? Can I not do this? No, because in fact, Paul specifically addresses this idea in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen and amen. Let, let us never forget that because you see, not only do we not need lofty speech or grandiose words, we trust in the power of God, which is the gospel. This is weird from here, but can I confess my own sinful shortcoming to you this morning? You know, every time I find out I'm going to preach, one of the things I have to pray over and over and over again is this. I pray, Lord, help my heart not to desire for people to think that, that I'm a good speaker, but to know that you are an exceedingly and exceptionally great God. Now, many of you be thinking, well, the Lord has certainly answered the first part of that prayer because we don't struggle with thinking you're a good speaker. But you know, I, I have to constantly battle that temptation to think, oh, oh what will really, what will really matter what will really help this morning is if I can think of just that perfect story, that, that killer illustration that people are going to remember forever. You know, God put to death the pride in me that, that would help me rely on that and help me to simply and clearly proclaim the gospel and to hold high and magnify you in and through your word. That is where God's power resides. That is what we want to pray for one another to speak it clearly as we ought to do. So having instructed us in the right posture of our prayers and how we ought to pray for the opportunities to share the gospel and for those who are doing that work, Paul reminds us that our prayer should shape not only our minds, but also our lives, which should be a living picture, excuse me, of God's work in us. And that brings us to our third and final point, a proper picture of prayer. What do I mean? We'll, we'll look at verses five and six with me. Verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So first he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now this language of outsiders can, can seem very harsh to our modern ears, but it's a reminder that apart from salvation in Christ, all of the things that we have discussed about ourselves outside of Christ are also true of others. So we know that apart from Christ, we were what? Dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. We could not understand the things of God. And of course, as Christians, this should spur us not to hatred, not to exclusion, but, but to greater love and compassion. And yes, wisdom in relating to those who do not yet know Christ and in sharing the gospel with them. This can mean wisdom in knowing how to approach someone, and knowing when to approach them. And it is good to pray for these things. We rely on the spirit for this wisdom. Then he says, making the best use of the time. And this is a reminder that like anything else God gives us, time is a resource that we must steward well. So again, I ask you, how are you using your time? Are you using it to be prepared to share the gospel, spending it in the word, in prayer with, with other believers to sharpen yourself? And then are you using it to actually 
share the gospel. Make use of, make, excuse me, make the best use of your time because it is short. And then he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. You know, these next two commands, these two commands right here are two sides of the same coin. Because first, he tells us that our speech ought always to be gracious. You know, if that is not needed in this season where the most attention seems to be given to those who are the loudest, the most brash, the most obnoxious, then, then I don't know what is. You know, sadly, this attitude is too much in evidence in certain circles of the church. You know, there was a pastor in a church in Seattle who was incredibly popular for about 10 years before he had to resign as a result of a number of unrepentant sins. But he was the epitome of someone who, who too often got this balance wrong. Once upon a time, he was, he was preaching in Revelation 19 and talking about Jesus's return to judge the world. And he described Jesus as, and I quote, a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and the commitment to make someone bleed. That's a, that's a warped view of the truth we're called to teach. You know, friends, our speech should always be gracious. Paul tells us again and again, you know, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Having said that, here's the other side of that coin. Paul also pushes back against those who, who would go the other extreme and read it to mean that our speech should never cause offense, that it should never hurt feelings, never step on toes. You know what? True gospel preaching will do all of those things and more, but the key is it should only ever be because of the gospel, not because we have chosen to be obnoxious jerks. And I assure you, there is a difference between the two. If you need help discerning it, ask the others in your life whom you talk to. They could probably help you figure that out. But where does Paul get this idea that we should be salty? Where does that language come from? Well, when you, when you read through the New Testament, you discover the apostles never, ever go beyond where Jesus has already taken them. And so he did here because it was Jesus who tells us that you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You know, Pastor Mark Dever was talking about this idea that Christians are called to be salt. And he noted that salt must be different to be salt. If it is just like the substance that it is put into, then it is not salt and it cannot do what it was meant to do, whether that's to preserve, to disinfect, to flavor, whatever. The same goes for us. We must be different from the world around us. And our message should sound very different. And you know what? Disinfecting can be a painful process. But Jesus has strong words for us if we refuse to be salty. He says, salt is good, but if it has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. And as always, he is our perfect example of this. Scripture describes Jesus as being full of grace and truth. So if you want to be truly Christ-like, you must be, have, and proclaim both. Then finally, Paul says, you do this so that you know how you ought to answer each person. Paul knows that we're going to need wisdom in how and when to be gracious and how and when to be salty because every circumstance is going to be different. But the message we have to share the truth that drives us to these things. It is eternal and it is unchanging. What a privilege, what a burden, what a responsibility, and one that we dare not 
approach without much, much prayer. Friends, I don't know about you, but I read this passage. I consider these things and I tremble as I think, Lord, this is beyond me. Well, that's why he invites us to pray. And so this morning, I can think of no better way to conclude our time together than to spend some time in prayer for exactly these things. So for the next few minutes, let me encourage you to gather with whomever you're watching this morning. If, if you're on your own, if you're with family, if you're with friends, maybe you've gathered somewhere for a watch party. I don't know. Wherever you are, though, let's spend some time in prayer. So I'm going to give you some prompts. We'll spend a, a short time in prayer, and then, then I will close us. So first, let's pray for our international missions partners, for those who are working to share the gospel in some really hard places around the world. Again, you could find out more about these on our missions page, but, but we have Will and Ann and Ben and Becca who are working to send the gospel to East Asia. We have Matt and Bethany who are working to share the gospel in Central Asia. And we are partners with the Belarus Church Planting Mission, which is working to plant healthy churches all throughout Belarus, which if you don't know what's going on there, they are facing some massive challenges as a country. So let's pray for these people and for, for these endeavors. Second, let's pray for the NETS, N-E-T-S, the NETS Center for Church Planting and Revitalization, which is working to plant churches all throughout New England. Let's pray for Pastor Nick Lingle and Westwood Baptist Church in West Nashville, one of our partner churches there, and for Pastor Marshall Gallagher and Hope Community Church in the neighborhood of West Nashville, known as the Nations. It's another church with whom we partner and support. Let's pray for their, their gospel labors that the Lord would sustain and use them and bear much fruit from their efforts. Third, let's pray for one another in this congregation that God would open the door for us to share the gospel, that we would do so clearly, that we would walk wisely toward our community and toward this world. And as we're doing so, let's pray especially again for our brother Kendall Kuhn as he will be serving for a week in Central America where he'll be doing advanced police training along with evangelism and Bible studies with national police forces there. So let's pray again.
And finally, take a moment and pray for your own heart and your own life that you too would do these things, that you would continue to be steadfast in prayer and to do so with thanksgiving. Father, truly, it is a, an immeasurable privilege to come to you in prayer. Forgive us for when we take it for granted and when we do not pursue it and pursue you as we ought. But I pray for us all this morning that we would continue steadfastly and fervently in our prayers before you that we would do so with thanksgiving, and that in doing so, you would continue to shape our minds, our hearts, and our lives, that you would open many doors for us to share the gospel, that we would do so with clarity and with wisdom, relying not on our own strength, not on our own gifts and skills and abilities or eloquence, but in you and the power of your gospel. I pray that you would give us eyes to see these moments, these opportunities, that we would not let them pass by, that we would not shrink back from them in fear, that we would not ignore them out of a sense of complacency or busyness, oh, but that we would pursue them with joy. We do pray for all those with whom we partner in their gospel labors, but we pray especially for Kendall as he prepares to go and do this work. We thank you for how you have gifted him and the life you have led him to leave that enables him to, to go and share in this way with a group of people that many others may never be able to, to reach or with whom they might not be able to interact, that you would help him to find favor in their eyes and that you would give him much boldness and much wisdom and bear much fruit from his words and from his conduct while he is there. Father, we cast ourselves before you. We are forever utterly dependent on you. But what a good God you are to us. We love you. And it is in the name of your son and by the power of your spirit that we ask you for these things. Amen. Friends, Thank you so much again for joining us today. I know this is this is awkward. And I apologize again for the difficulties at the start, but please know that we miss seeing you in person. We cannot wait to get together again next week, but until then, we're praying very much for all of you. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Be safe today. We love you, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye now.